You're listening to the Automation Solution Podcast, where we provide innovative, value-added, smart technology solutions that automate and optimize manufacturing processes for customers seeking excellence. Regardless of your role, we'll share valuable solutions for you to apply within your area of responsibility. And now, your host, Director of Business Development for Robex, Craig Francisco. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Automation Solution Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. You're going to love this episode. We are talking with Michael Kromhickey, who is the CEO and co-founder for Steam Chain. Michael has 20 years experience in advanced manufacturing technology. He spent 17 years with Rockwell Automation, supporting some of the largest and most advanced machinery manufacturers in the world. Michael also, um, his background also includes the acquisition and growth of early stage robotics technology companies, as well as the creation and development of a multi-million dollar cloud-based software platform. Mike has a degree in mechanical engineering from Michigan Technological University, and I'm very honored to have him here as a guest. If you ever wanted to learn more about machine as a service and what that could mean for you and your business, and you're going to want to listen in. This is this is going to be a great episode. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Right, well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us today. Really excited about the topic, uh, you know, machine as a service and learning more about what you've done in your past and a little bit about steam chain. So if we could, I'd like the listeners, and just so you know, our listeners typically are C-level executives, engineers, plant managers, maintenance managers, all typically within the manufacturing arena. So a good, you know, a very good audience for this machine as a service. And that's why I was so excited that you, you were able to give us the time to, to spend together today. Yeah, Craig, ha happy to do it. We always love talking about machine as a service and uh, appreciate uh, your, your audience uh, taking the time to listen in. Excellent. So if you could to give everybody a little bit of background, you know, 30,000 foot view of steam chain and how it came to be and, and what you've done in your career that's gotten to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I spent 20 years uh, working in automation technology uh, straight out of the university, uh, graduate of uh, Michigan Tech uh, up in uh, up in the UP there. Hey, uh, so go Huskies. <laughs> Um, and I started my career working, working for Rockwell uh, and did a lot of different jobs, but I really started on the front line uh, doing field support for machinery manufacturers that were running advanced automation equipment. And, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of the stereotypical, uh, you know, toolkit carrying uh, field service engineer that would jump on airplanes and go out and solve uh, technical problems uh, when, when, they, when they occurred in the field with, with you know, the equipment that Alan Bradley was installed on. And, and the thing that I always took away from that was that uh, oftentimes those, those problems weren't just technical problems. Those problems were a problem with a relationship between the people that supplied the equipment and the specifications that they supplied it on and the people that purchased and were operating that equipment with maybe a different set of expectations about how to maintain it, right. uh, how to support it, how, you know, what kind of performance to expect out of it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it always, it, 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 it was kind of uh, an eye-opening experience because to, to be good at that job uh, as I was just out of college took more than just the technical skill set. It took the ability to bring people together, 
uh, to help people understand that their interests are really aligned, that we're not going to make it very far if we don't have everybody working in good faith towards a common goal, uh, and that everybody's being, uh, everybody's being inconvenienced uh, right. when this machinery and this equipment is not performing as everybody expected it to. Uh, and, and so that was, that was always something that I found, uh, found interesting in, in the, you know, the, the challenge that it is to, you know, get this type of high tech equipment out into manufacturing. It takes, the, it takes a lot of collaboration. Um, and, and the, you know, as I, as I got later in my career, I had the opportunity to do a lot of different jobs, worked for, a, uh, worked, uh, worked in sales, worked in marketing, worked, uh, eventually running businesses for Rockwell Automation. I, I always came back to that thought that there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way to make sure that people's interests are aligned. Uh, it just seemed like such a zero sum game when you're selling the piece of equipment and all the risk of the equipment goes when you make the final payment. Right. Um, and, and so as, as I began to look at, uh, you know, other technology areas and as my career evolved and, you know, I, I got involved with some early stage startup companies that were acquired by Rockwell. I was running some of those businesses as they were commercializing that technology that led me down the path to, uh, to be, to look deeper into what the cutting edge technology and industrial uh, manufacturing is, uh, and, and that's when I began to spend a lot of time talking to uh, what, what everybody in the U.S. likes to refer to as the industrial Internet of Things companies. Right. Industry 4.0 and all this, uh, all this, this, this uh, magic sauce uh, that, uh, that, that's really been the hype in the industry for quite, quite a number of years now. Um, and, and I, like a lot of my colleagues, you know, felt like the Internet of Things is, is in some ways a rebranding of, you know, uh, remote monitoring and remote connectivity that had existed for quite some time. And that although there's a lot of promising applications in that space, there hadn't been at that point a real broad-based adoption of it. Uh, and, and, you know, that's where, that's where kind of my early career, my late career uh, thoughts collided. And I said, well, you know, if the goal here is to figure out how to optimize the performance of these assets, if the goal here is to try and get the, the, the parties that have a vested interest in the performance of these assets to work together in a way that optimizes and maximizes the usefulness of these assets. Why don't we, instead of talking about all the big data and all the, you know, advanced analytics and artificial intelligence that we could do from an automated perspective, what if we just look at the little data? What if we look at the data that everybody knows is critical to the financial performance of these assets? What if we look at that and use that as the mechanism to create the incentives uh, between all the stakeholders that should have a vested interest so that when the machine performs, everybody wins together. When the machine is having troubles, everybody's facing the same risks together. How do we restructure the way capital equipment is purchased using this IoT data to inform the agreement between these parties, really changing the game for how you purchase these assets, making it much more flexible, yep. making it much more aligned uh, with, with the, the incentives of the party become, uh, the, the various stakeholders become much more aligned. How do we do this in a way that really helps everybody adopt technology, better technology, faster, and with more flexibility and more reliability? And, and that's kind of the, 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 the genesis of the steam chain concept, and we call it machine as a service. Yeah, so that's a great overview, Michael. And just so for the listeners, we're talking, you know, traditional uh, 
capital expenditures and automate, whether that's automating or whatever the equipment is and assets you're bringing into your, your plant, you know, for us, we typically see, you know, 30% down at the time of PO, 30% down at time of approval of electrical mechanical drawings, another 30% at the time of the fat, and then 10%, you know, is left out there that when everything's installed and up and running, we, you know, as an integrator, you do your job and you get your final, your check, and then you're gone, right? So these, these companies are making million dollar decisions, multi-million dollar decisions, based on what proposals are looking like without even seeing the machine, you know, in the plant doing the job that they're hoping it's going to produce the result that they're going to try to get out of it. So if I'm hearing you right, this allows, it can allow an end user to actually pay for the results when they're receiving them versus paying almost everything up front prior to receiving any benefit. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Uh, it, it, it can definitely support that. And that's one of the popular ways to utilize the, the, the technology is to either in part or in full structure payments that occur over time that may include all the services support necessary to optimize the performance of it over that life cycle. Right. It may include implicit warranties. It may include, uh, you know, linkages to the specification that they purchased that on. It could also include upfront payments, right? It's not, right. we don't dictate the structure of the contracts. Uh, you know, there's, there's many different ways. You, you kind of go from a world uh, that you described, which is that 30, 30, 30, 10 milestone-based uh, payment process uh, that, that has existed, quite honestly, since the original Industrial Revolution. Right. right? And, and it's still generally run by people with clipboards kind of saying, yep, we think it, you know, and signing the piece of paper and making the payment, right? And user can say, hey, I need, to, I need to check the boxes on this thing. But after you make that final payment, the risk goes one way, the capital goes the other, and everybody moves on. Right. Um, and, and 50 years ago, that was, that, that's probably the best solution that they could come up with to manage the transfer of that risk and the transfer of that capital in an orderly way that's, that's managed. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the only way we do it today, right? Especially in, a, in an environment where there's been such great advances in all this connectivity and IoT systems for industrial assets, uh, the question becomes, why don't we use that data to inform these agreements to manage the process by which this risk is transferred and this capital is transferred and to do it over a more a, a longer term period of time that 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 more accurately reflects the needs of the end user customer how do we do it in a way that also bakes in the service and support and all the other things that the OEMs and systems integrators can can help their customers with right. so that instead of selling a piece of machinery, they're really selling an outcome. They're selling uh, and they're investing in their customer's business in a way that they stand to gain the most when they help their customer achieve the results that their customer is looking to achieve. Uh, we think it's a much more accurate reflection of the, of the interests and intentions of all parties. Uh, and we think it's a, it's a really valuable, valuable use case of the industrial internet of things technologies that's so much more prevalent in the world today. Yeah, it's a true win-win, really, at the end of the day, right? Because it's, you know, the integrator of the OEM is going to get paid for the performance. The end user is going to get the results they want, and they know that the support is there. 
And then I could see that relationship taking a completely different form over, you know, several years and whether that's as, as companies continue to automate and, and enhance what their production looks like, I see that relationship even becoming tighter. Yeah, it really supports the, what the best companies are, are doing already, which is creating a very tight bond with their customer and doing so in a way that they're really focused on not letting them fail with, with these investments. Uh, but what, what Steam Chain and Machine as a Service does is, is really put terms around that and allow those to be formal agreements that, that help both parties uh, optimize the performance of the business, manage the risk the way they see is best for their business. What do we want to pay for? How do we want to pay for it? Um, and, and really partner together uh, much more tightly. Uh, we think it's a great solution for all parties. We don't think there's a loser in this, to be quite honest. Uh, it, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. It's, it, it really is. Everybody benefits uh, when there's more clarity, there's more transparency, and there's just uh, uh, better alignment. Uh, between the interests of those parties. Uh, you don't have months and months of the finger pointing when something right. goes wrong about who owns the bill. And, you know, going back to, uh, to my early days at uh, Rockwell Automation, right? When I, when I landed in some, you know, some city in the Carolinas, you know, coming off an airplane with a toolkit, the first thing I had to deal with is the finger pointing between the, the, the parties. Everybody's trying to say, hey, it's not my issue you know, the, the, the OEM undoubtedly thinks the customer hasn't been properly trained. Their operators don't know what they're doing. The material going into the machine is all wrong. And that's causing the problem. And the, the end user thinks, well, the, you know, they sold me a bad machine and, you right. know, the thing has got poor quality and everything else. Uh, and, and, and they sit there arguing and they're really arguing about who's, who's responsible for taking ownership of that and resolving the situation, even before they know what the problem is. Right. Um, yeah. and, and that's the kind, that's the inefficiency that machine as a service contracts absolutely eliminate because in a situation like that, everybody's losing when that machine isn't running sure. at its optimal level and everybody has a vested interest to work together in good faith to fix it. So let's talk about then obviously where, where steam chain comes into play and why this is so important. The questions that an end user or an integrator or OEM are going to have is, so data collection, visibility, transparency, contract, visibility, transparency, uh, results, terms. How, how, from a technology standpoint, what are you putting in place? What are you, what do you, what Steam Chain have to offer to help make this easy for everyone to understand and believe in the data? Because I think that's got to be the most critical thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it, in, in many ways, we look like any other traditional IoT uh, company in that we, we have the technology to collect the data off of the machine. Uh, we, we actually uh, use, uh, you know, a well-adopted standard for that. Uh, and, and we place a device in the machine. We collect the information off the machine. We bring it, bring it back to a cloud-based platform uh, that's running on uh, Microsoft Azure. Right, so we're using generally all industry standard elements of the architecture that any other IoT company would, would use. Right. Uh, but the difference with Steam Chain is instead of just putting that into the cloud, into a database, we put that data into a blockchain shared ledger data structure. And within that shared ledger structure, we've deployed the contract. The contract itself is software. Okay, so you have a paper version of the contract that articulates in, in, in you know, plain English, or I guess not plain English, legally, right? <laughs> right? 
<laughs> uh, the opposite of plain English. Uh, but you have your traditional contract that sets out the terms, but then you have a software manifestation of that contract. Uh, and so if it's every time, uh, uh, you know, a, a pallet gets packed, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it costs 57 cents, then that would be reflected in the software. We would link that up to the data stream that's coming in from the IOT system. Um, and that contract is visible to all parties. It, the access to that can't be restricted by one or the other party. The data that's collected from the machine on a periodic basis, generally speaking, with, with our customer base, that's that's once an hour. Right. And that data is transparent. It's it everybody sees it at the same time as it's being collected, right? It hits that contract. You can see it then getting converted into financial data, uh, and then that financial data gets accumulated, and so you can see the credits and debits and so on and so forth until such time as those transactions get cleared. And then it initiates a, a, a banking transaction. It, it initiates an accounts payable, accounts receivable process. Um, and so all that is done completely automatically, completely transparent uh, to, to both sides or all sides of the agreement, if it's a multi-party agreement, right. Right, where everybody has clarity, everybody understands, everybody can go look at it. You're not waiting to get a bill from, from your supplier that says, hey, in the last quarter, you did all this stuff. Right. So here's the big number you owe me and you have no way to reconcile. You have no way to audit. You have no way to validate. And you had no insight into what you were accruing because you didn't have visibility to it along the way. So that element of our system is what differentiates us from any other IOT company in the world today. We can take that IOT data and we can turn that into financial transactions through the use of our machine as a service platform. Uh, we call it the steam engine uh, for a secure transaction engine for automated machinery. That's fantastic. And I think what else you would get out of that and correct me if I'm wrong, but let's say the machine is not performing, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, there's something wrong. I would assume that data, that information is, is live and visible to both parties. Is, am I accurate in saying that? Absolutely. And further to that, it not only is it live and visible, you can also set up warnings and alarms so that if anything on the financial side, on the performance side is out of spec from what you expect or the OEM expects, mm -hmm. you can trigger any kind of alarm that you want. An SMS message, uh, an email going out, you can send that to multiple parties, you can send it to the plant operator. You can also require that, that people acknowledge those. Uh, so if something is out of spec, you know, there's a, there, there's a process flow that says, okay, we understand, we, we approve, we, we agree. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's a whole infrastructure around reporting and, and alarms and events so that you, you've got this collaboration space where everybody's seeing the same data, everybody is able to communicate with each other on that data. And we're adding more and more of those types of collaborative features over time because we really believe that when you get the suppliers and the operators working together closely, monitoring the equipment, right? We, we believe that IOT isn't about creating some algorithm that allows the machine to be optimized in the absence of people. Right. We believe that the best use case of IOT is to connect the people that are in the best position to optimize the performance of those assets. And we believe we can do that today with machine as a service. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I'm just thinking of just downtime in general of what a manufacturer goes manufacturer goes through today, where uh, second shift machines not performing, 
by the time somebody gets around to it and they look at it, it might be the next day and then they're trying to call um, someone for support to come out and help them. There's all this time where the machine's either not performing at all or not performing up to the specifications. And it's really then, like you said, sh someone shows up back in your old days with your toolbox, there's mm -hmm. the pointing fingers back and forth, and then finally it gets fixed where we're utilizing your technology and with people that support it, you're gonna have that real-time information going back and forth at all times. And, and when you kind of take it to its conclusion, Craig, this is what we get really excited about. You know, everybody, everybody loves the idea of, you know, predictive maintenance and uh, artificial intelligence and, and, and remote monitoring in principle. But today, if you want to deploy that, you really add it to the cost of the machine. Right. Right. Um, but when you start talking about how the, the OEM or the systems integrator is really getting paid based on the performance of that asset over time, what it does is create an incentive for them to make those investments in the machine when they believe it's gonna help optimize the performance because then they're gonna get a better return because yeah. they don't have to send the field service guy anymore if they can do it with remote monitoring. They don't need to react to something if the artificial intelligence uh, already solved the problem. What it does is create a revenue stream uh, based on what you want it to be based on, which is the performance of the asset, so that people, and specifically the machine builders, the people that are designing these systems, are choosing the technology that creates the most value for them, which in turn create the most value for their customer. Um, and so we think it, it really opens up the opportunities to adopt higher end, better, more advanced manufacturing technology, both software and hardware across the board, right? Because you're, you're investing in it in a way that you're checking to make sure that it's actually proving to be valuable in terms of how the end user uh, assesses value, which is the outcome of these assets, the performance. Yeah, so no, it, it makes sense. It, I'm putting myself in the shoes of an end customer and the first thing that's going to come up, they're going to start thinking about risk. So, you know, what's the risk? If I don't pay for this machine 100% upfront, you know, I don't necessarily own it. What's the risk for an end user? If any, I mean, I, so the, yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time making the counter argument here. Um, if, if, uh, you know, the, I, I'd say the one, the one risk is, um, and I'm not sure this is a risk, but in, in, uh, with a well-designed contract, uh, I may pay more for the results I'm getting, but only in a situation where I would have gotten those results from purchasing the machine anyway. Right. Does that sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But, but what I'm getting is capital flexibility because I don't have to pay up front. Right what I'm getting is the implicit insurance that I'll achieve that result, right? That, that's, it, it, in a lot of ways, it, the, analog, the analogous argument is, um, what's the value of car insurance if you don't get into an accident? Right. And, and the answer is, in my opinion, still pretty high, right? Yeah. Because you're paying for the assurance, you're paying for the fact that you're covered in a situation where something that you don't want to have happen. happen. That's peace of mind, yeah. It's peace of mind. It's it's partnership, right? It's it's not having to worry about it. So, I mean, I can make the counter argument, but it's hard for me to say, gosh, if I could pay, uh, you know, if 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 I could pay for 
all this great technology on, a, on an operating budget uh, tied into my per unit production costs. Uh, and I didn't have to worry about the risk that this technology wouldn't work for me because quite frankly, if it's not running, uh, if, if I'm getting zero uptime, I'm you know, not paying for the downtime that I'm incurring, yeah. right? When, when these contracts are well-designed, to me, it's a no-brainer uh, for an end user to say, yeah, I'd rather forego the upfront capital and all the risk that that implies and all the, the long-term service and support that I can't possibly predict. And I'd rather partner with somebody that comes in and takes that, uh, that function and executes it for me and I pay it for it on an operating expense. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's a win-win. Yeah, I, I see it too. And I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but it's almost like how how right now uh, manufacturing companies will have this influx of temporary workers because you know they're busy or whatever the case may be. And then the, the whole idea of temporary is that, that they don't need them, then those people will go elsewhere and find new jobs or whatever that case may be. But you're almost in a way you're, you're not paying, you're paying it through your operate operational budget. So it's almost like you're putting a, you know, you're putting a machine in there obviously to do it. So you know what your cost is. You, you have that protection just like you would if you were putting a temporary employee in there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's machines as employees in some ways. Yeah. And, and I, I need to caution the audience here, right? That's one way to use the technology, right? And it's a, it's a very popular way and it's an easy one to grasp and, and, and talk about. But I, I just want to pause everybody to say it's not the only way to use it, right? There's still a lot of use cases, even if you choose to buy the capital asset outright in the traditional sense. You, you may use a machine as a service model to fund the post-sale service of that machine over time or to pay for the warranty, uh, a performance warranty over time. So there's, there's both kind of holistic and then, and, then, and then niche ways that you can use the machine as a service. Uh, and every contract arrangement can be customized to the needs of, of the supplier and the, and the end user customer. Um, but, but back on, on the point, right? Uh, you were talking about, um, you were talking about machines almost as employees. And, and we, we see that, right? Where, especially in machines that are uh, say common, right. uh, standardized industrial assets where I might need it for a season or I might need it in the fall and I want to get this stuff in installed and I want to run my production and then I want to move on. It, it actually creates a, a middle ground between, you know, running it in my facility, buying the assets, installing, uh, you know, investing in all the capital assets as a fixed installed base in my facility and not doing it at all and sending it out to a contract manufacturer. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a middle ground between those that says, well, it's still in my facility. I'm still operating it. I still have control over it. I don't have to truck my products or across the state or across the country to get the, this done but it's, it, it, it fills this gap. It's an operational expense. It's probably lower cost than the, the contract manufacturer. It has just as much flexibility uh, and, and I need it for the period of time that I need it. So we think there's great use cases there as well that will change yeah. people's decisions on when, when to go to a contract manufacturer and when to do it in-house. Yeah, so big point, I'm glad you, you paused there that I wanna hit home for the listeners. There is no, one way or right way to do this, that the contract can look different um, from machine to machine, company to company. It's very flexible in the way that you set up the terms. Is that fair? 
Absolutely right. And uh, thanks for highlighting that again, right? Uh, you know, we get, we end up talking about it. We talk about it in the context of an application or how, you know, you might want to use it. We talk about popular ones as we are today. Uh, but I think it's, it's really important to realize that, that machine as a service, our machine as a service platform and the Steam Chain platform is a mechanism that al allows you to create whatever you want. We've built it that way with intent, right? right? So contracts become templates and we can create customized templates. So it's easy to just say, hey, I, my standardized machine, I've got this way I sell it. Yep. I've got a template, I can negotiate pricing, I can change all my levels, I can do whatever I want, but the form is the same. We've got a lot of standardized forms. Uh, we do a usage-based financing model. We do a performance warranty model, which is purchase, purchase the asset, own title to the asset as you traditionally would, but pay uh, a performance warranty as opposed to a break fix warranty where you pay a bunch of money and then if something goes wrong, you, you call your OEM and, and they yeah. have an obligation to fix what broke, right? Shifting that model uh, and saying, I'd rather pay you when it doesn't break. Right. So that I'm creating an incentive for when it does break that you're going to come in, you're going to fix it because you're losing your revenue stream if you don't get on top of these things yeah. quick and we can customize those. And, and it, what it does is it makes a very, it's, it's a much more aligned partnership because everybody's on the same page. You're not denying the warranty claim anymore. You're aggressively getting after it when the machine goes down because there's the right incentives built into the contract that motivate you financially to do so. Uh, and so there's all sorts of different ways. We've got some energy uh, management uh, 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 templates that are very interesting in certain niche areas. Sure. Uh, we do uh, automated service agreements, which kind of go part and parcel with almost all contracts we do, mm -hmm. uh, where it ties in that post-sales service component. That's a, that's a critical aspect to it. Uh, uh, we, we, we've even created a template to automate a traditional mm -hmm. site acceptance and factory acceptance process in the way it exists today. Uh, just to help kind of, you know, create a, a, a stepping stone into machine as a service. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of different, lots of different ideas and we get new stuff from our customers every day. So if any of your yeah. audience have any great ideas of how to use this, we'd, we'd love to hear from them. Yeah. At the end of the day, I go back to it. It's a, it's all a win-win. So both parties have the, the same interests that the transparency is there. What, however it's structured, it, it's going to benefit all parties. That's I think what I want to make sure everybody's taken home. Absolutely. Right. So one question I get, we've talked about this with some customers and I'm sure this comes up. And, and so the first thing someone's going to say, if they don't have money, if they don't want to spend all of it up front, they'll say, well, I'm just, I'll just lease the equipment. Right. Yeah. I'll just lease it. It's simple. I understand it. It's been around for decades. It, can you help explain and articulate the difference between a lease and what steam chain can offer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, look at, at the end of the day, traditional leases aren't connected to machinery performance. Uh, and you, you could just as easily lease a machine as you could buy a machine and have that machine not produce the results that you need it to produce and not have an engaged OEM that exactly. is willing to jump in and, and help you out, optimize the performance of that. And your leasing company doesn't care. Right. The leasing company isn't going to say, Oh geez, you, it's, it's not working as well as you hoped it would. Right. They, they don't <laughs> take on that risk. Right, so so the 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 obligation is still there. The risk is still there. You're only solving the capital uh, uh, flexibility side of the equation. You're not solving the risk management side of the equation. 
you're not solving the partnership with your OEM equation where, where they have a vested interest in ensuring that those things perform. Um, so, so, you know, leases have been around for a long time. They're fine when you need them. Uh, we think uh, machine as a service is just a better implementation of a lease uh, that creates uh, the, the operating conditions for all the stakeholders. Right. Uh, really work together to ensure that the machine achieves the performance. And quite frankly, we think over time, you're going to get a better rate on this than you are on a lease because of that. Right. No, that's a good point. That's a great point. Um, just to help the audience, we're getting here, we're close to our time. So I've got a couple questions left. And I'd like us, you and I, to kind of have fun with this one, walk through it. So here at Robex, we have a, a palletizing, uh, several palletizing solutions, what we call stacks. And they could be anywhere from your entry-level collaborative robot palletizing solution all the way up to your big boys that so it can range anywhere from you know $130,000 to $300,000 you know right in that range and um, so let's just pick let's pick a number let's say you know $175,000 is a, is a fairly um, yeah, it's a, a more of a uh, entry-level industrial robot palletizing solution so typically in today's world People believe there's one way to, to or really two ways. You could lease the machine potentially, or you go through traditional financing or, or capital approval where you're going to spend the 30%, 30, 30, 30, 10, have the palletizer, integrator leaves. You're now, you know, you're now running this as the, as the end user to making sure it's working. So if I heard you correctly, now again, lots of different ways to structure it, but to keep it really simple, if all parties agreed, you could write a contract that would state you know, per successful case palletized, that the, the price would be, you know, whatever that is, 10 cents, 20 cents. So you could really get the palletizer without spending a whole lot of money, if any, up front, depending on how you structure it. And then you're paying for the performance of that, that robotic cell doing what the integrator told you was going to do. Yeah, I, I, precisely right. I mean, every deal is different, and uh, uh, you know, if, if you know, you've got a hundred hundred seventy-five thousand dollar capital asset, and you, you know, a lot of times when you're putting in a palletizer, as you know, you don't put in one; you might put in three, four, five of them. Right. You, you know why you the, the the end user customer knows what they're trying to accomplish. They know what their forecast is for next year. Right. They know what their plant, what they're specking their plant in terms of performance that it needs to do kind of minimally and then and then at surge. Right. right? And so uh, based on that data, uh, you know, you you uh, you can very easily compute the value of one pallet produced uh, and we can connect the 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 the, the acquisition of the asset. Uh, to this uh, agreement to produce so many next year, right? I'm basically buying the opportunity to produce, let's call it, uh, let's call it 80,000 pallets next year right. on this machine, right? I am, I am contracting either for one year, two year, five year, whatever the term is. I want to pay this much to be able to produce this many pallets next year. Right. Uh, and, and if that machine is available uh, meaning that it's op it's in an operating condition, it's hitting its availability. You're not paying for it when the thing is broken. Uh, it's it's available to produce those things, and it is producing those things. It's tied directly into the the value that it's creating for you. You're paying for it as an operational expense on a per unit basis if you want to, uh, and and you've got uh, the implicit warranty and the and the service associated with ensuring that it meets the requirements that you have. 
so you've you've got this implicit guarantee from your OEM that they're they're going to keep that thing running, that they can achieve those results in your plant. It creates a much better partnership between those folks. And instead of looking at it as $175,000 that I need to put on the table right now in the hopes that I'm going to achieve my goals next year, I'd rather just pay 62 cents a pallet or whatever that number is. Right. Yeah. And, and know that I'm getting what I paid for. Yeah. Excellent. That's a great example. I think our listeners can wrap their heads around that and then connect and start connecting the dots. Uh, last question, Michael, I know you're busy and, and I really appreciate the time you're taking. What's your, what's your take on future outlook of machine as a service? You know, I know we're, we're, we're going through this pandemic. It's awful. I'm hoping that we all hope that we come out of this healthy and safe if we get back to somewhat normal as soon as possible. But as you, even prior to the pandemic, you know, obviously you invest a lot of time and money. You've got a team built rolling this out. Where do you see machine as a service over the next year, year to five years? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of do the, 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 the pre-pandemic and then I'm going to talk about how the, the pandemic is, uh, you know, actually impacting that. Okay. Um, uh, but, but, you know, what, what, what we saw, and I kind of uh, talked about it in the intro, uh, you know, we were looking at all of the technology be, being created to help uh, machinery manufacturers and operators connect their machine to the network, to the cloud, right? right. Uh, you, you call it industry 4.0, you call it industrial internet of things. All the big companies in the industry are talking about it. There's a million startups doing it. They're creating dashboards or gathering data. They have all sorts of ideas about how these app, how, how this could help you. And I think everybody in their gut understands right. how access to data helps, right? But it's more than just access to, to, to data. You need the business models uh, that, that uh, create purpose for having that information. And that's where I think things have, have stalled uh, in terms of the adoption of IoT technology. Everybody, you know, they get it. They, I, can, I can hook my machine up to the internet and I can get these great dashboards and we can all see that there's a bunch of data, but how does that change how we work together? How do we use that data in a way that helps align our interests and helps move, uh, you know, move the industry forward? Um, and that's where we, we haven't seen enough work and that's why we focused on that um, and, and, and why we invented machine as a service. Um, what, uh, what, what we see happening, right, it, it, the other macro trends that we see happening uh, and, and have been for some time, we absolutely believe that there's going to be more investment in manufacturing in North America, all right? Uh, we think that was already a trend line that was occurring. Agree. Uh, yeah. You know, as, as the, you know, the price to outsource kept going up, as the risks to outsourcing became more and more apparent. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the sense was that, Hey, there's, there's a vested interest in, in making investments in, in these value added industries in America. Uh, and it's still a massive manufacturing economy and there, but, but it's, it's been neglected. And so there's a need to invest in advanced automation technology. There's a need to invest in upgrading these plants. Uh, there's a need to invest in all these things. But there's, you know, capital constraints and everything else. Um, and so we see the combination of more and more people willing to connect their machines to the network, more and more of an understanding that we need to invest in manufacturing uh, capacity in the U.S. and especially invest in manufacturing capacity in a way that's economical, which means highly automated. Right. 
um, and 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 in a capital constrained environment, how do you how do you do that? Uh, how do you do that without taking enormous risks? Uh, and and we believe that's where machine as a service really comes into it to act as an accelerant uh, to make it easier to adopt uh, technology you might not be as familiar with, right? To work with partners you may not have worked with in the past, where you can't just rely on the reputation that they've developed with you over the last 40 years, right? Right? They're a new entry in the market, and uh, uh, you know as much as we. As much as we love the, as much as we love what they're saying, do we really want to go into business and give them, you know, a half million dollars of capital for a machine that we're not going to know whether it's going to be economically viable for us until we're well down the road, right? right. I think that's one of the biggest problems is there's so much inertia, there's so much legacy in this business. People, uh, people that are buying machinery tend to want to buy machines from people they know, people that they bought machines yep. from. They want to buy machines and technology that they've used in the past. Because the worst thing, the, the, the last thing you want, if you're the guy signing on the line saying, this is the equipment I'm going to use, is to get that phone call in the middle of the night because that new technology you bought from that new company isn't working on the plant floor. And who is the, who is the guy that, you know, the person that, that signed on the dotted line on this, uh, you know, who made the mistake? Right. And, and we think that actually slows down the adoption of new technology and working with the best partners in the industry in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, it, and, and we think that by eliminating that risk, managing that risk through these machines as a service contracts, you create much more fluidity and, and much, better, uh, much better opportunity to partner. Uh, and to get value out of your, your, uh, your industrial uh, investments. Uh, on this kind of machinery than you would in the traditional model. So, you know, all of that we, we, we were totally bought into and, and see as the, the macro trends and kind of where the world is going. And then the pandemic, right? And, and the pandemic, uh, you know, even before that, we, we always said that our business is going to do the best when, when the market changes, when, when, when it's not go, 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 everybody's busy building this stuff. Uh, that they've always been busy building, right? Everybody's, everybody's, uh, everybody had back orders on everything for right. the last number of years, right? Uh, people didn't have time to say, hey, uh, we're going to go invest in new business models. They're just busy trying to collect all the orders that they were getting and build those orders as quickly as possible in the old environment. That's changing now. Yeah. Uh, and we think it creates the opportunity for more people to explore these new business models. And we think these new business models are going to really fit well in a situation where capital constraints are much more uh, prevalent, where the need to onshore is significantly increased. Right. Uh, right. We, we think these things collectively actually make this model uh, much more attractive. Uh, it, it'll, it, it'll, it'll take what we knew was going to happen and it's going to start happening at a much more rapid pace. And we're already starting to sense that here at Steam Chain. Yeah. And you think of just even social distancing, not now, but in the future, just looking at how, how you're structuring your manufacturing, how close people are working together. I think yeah. all of that is just, people are going to really start thinking about it. Well, how many, how many, how many factories have you walked into where, where they're, they're still, palletizing with people and it's three three people standing around a conveyor each more. picking up a box and setting it down and they're within you know they're standing right on top of each other like that's not going to be uh sustainable no i would agree 
and and so the the best solution to that is is a, a robotic palletizer. It's quick. It's easy. You can drop it in, uh, you know, and, and solve that problem very fast. And, yeah. and in this scenario, it's very economical. It might actually save you money while also protecting your business. Yeah, no, that's great, Michael. Well, hey, I appreciate it. That was that was fantastic. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. What I will do for everybody listening, I will put um, Steam Chain's website on, on our podcast, the contact information. If you've got more questions, I'm sure, Michael, you'd be happy to. Always have to come. Um, I would as well. So I think this is a great conversation. And, you know, we're, as Robex, you know, we're very excited to be partnering with Steam Chain and implementing a lot of these new contracts with some of our, um, you know, our go-to standardized machines. And so we're, we're happy to be a partner with you. And I think what you're doing is great and, and we look forward to the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I really enjoyed it. It was a great discussion. And again, thank you to your, to your audience for taking the time to learn a bit about, uh, about machine as a service and steam chain. All right, Michael. Thanks buddy. Take care. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Automation Solution Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and give us a review. Also, please be sure to mention us to your industry colleagues. For more information on the solutions that Robex offers, check out our website at www.robex.us. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, 